Amen. All right. Well, hey, when it comes to witnessing, how many guys like to witness? Yeah. All three of you, praise God. The rest of you, but anyway. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we are a little afraid when it comes to witnessing as Christians, right? And we talked about that in our Renewing Your Faith study, et cetera, et cetera. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think uh, some of our greatest fears when it comes to witnessing is the fear of rejection, right? That somehow they're going to reject you. They're going to do something to you or whatever. But uh, how many guys have learned that when you finally do get around to witnessing, sharing Jesus with somebody else, it usually isn't as bad as you had envisioned it to be, right? Okay. In fact, I guarantee you it was nothing compared to what this guy went through. When he witnessed, let's check this guy out. I just want you to know that Jesus really loves you. Jesus love you. You've got the answer for your life. Hey, give it up for Bobby. Huh? Isn't he persistent? Praise God, you grew your hair back and you got away from Australia and here in Vegas now, but isn't he God? Yeah, whatever. Hey, how many guys after watching that video, you really feel up to door-to-door -door witnessing now? Right? You Okay, but okay, maybe we don't want to go door to door like that guy, okay, but, uh, but we still need to witness, right? And so I got a theory, and I'm here to help you out tonight. If door to door witnessing isn't your cup of tea and you're afraid of that, okay, uh, maybe you could try another technique. Maybe you could try creation versus evolution. Why? Because, folks, I'm telling you, that's a huge stumbling block for people accepting Christ as their Savior, okay? And once you deal with that aspect, Oftentimes, people get saved just like that. Let's take a look at a couple more testimonies uh, showing just that. Okay, one guy said this. He, he said, I brought my brother Bruce along to a what? Creation seminar. What happened? Well, three days after the meeting, my brother gave his heart to the Lord, and he's still going strong. My brother had difficulty believing God. Why? Because he was lied to. Because of his thoughts on evolution and how that did not stack up with the Bible. The message on a literal creation was a big turning point for him. Once you can see that you can trust the Bible, first page forward, not just biblically, but even scientifically, removes that stumbling block, people get saved just like that. Another guy said this. He said, my brother-in-law Johnny came with me to a meeting on creationism. He was so affected by the meeting, he became a Christian shortly after, a result of learning that the Bible really was true from the where. From the beginning, why is that a big deal? Because if I can't trust the first page, why trust any of the rest, right? It's a huge stumbling block for folks, and it's a massive, powerful way for you and I to share the gospel. If you don't want to go door to door, and maybe you don't want to do the uh, uh, prophecy uh, route or Romans road or what, try creation versus evolution. In fact, if you do that as a Christian, you're not alone. Believe it or not, that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul used, okay? Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Once again, Acts was written for New Church, Lumberjack. I was waiting for a Lumberjack, you know, but no, that's the wrong kind of Acts. 
but uh, not just the people up north. Uh, Acts chapter 17 and uh, verse 22 is uh, where we're going to start. And of course, the context here, Paul is preaching to the lost. He's preaching to the Athenians, okay? And, uh, but notice how he goes about it, okay? And uh, I think it it's, uh, has some great effects, and maybe you and I should try it today. But Acts chapter 17, verse 22, if you get there, say moo. Moo, okay, let's give it a whirl. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said this, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. They wanted to make sure they covered all their bases, okay? And uh, he says this, he says, Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And notice how he starts to witness. The God who what? Made the world and everything in it. Now what he just appealed to? A literal creation from God. We didn't come, he said, from the goo to the zoo to me and you. He pointed right back that God is the one who made everything. As a matter of fact, the world and everything in it, he said. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. So he not only created the earth, he created the heavens. Everything came from God, Paul appeals to. Then he goes on. And he says, and God, he does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself, listen, he himself gives life to who? All men. So now what is he saying? The creation account. God didn't just make the heavens. He didn't just make the earth. He made mankind. We didn't come from an ape. Okay? We came from God. That's what he's talking about there. He says, and breath and everything else. Now, listen to this. He goes on. He says, from one man, he made every nation of men. Who's that? Adam. So once again, he's still dealing with the literal creation account. This is the tact, if you will, that Paul is witnessing to the Athenians. Okay? So he made one man for every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined okay the time set for them and the exact places where they should live god did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said we are his offspring therefore paul says since we're god's offspring not a cosmic accident Okay, we should not think that the divine being is made like gold or silver or stone, an image made of man's design and skill, i.e. an idol. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. Why? Because he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ. Okay, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Okay, so Paul starts off with the creation account. He goes into the aspect that judgment's coming. The one way out is through Jesus Christ. Oh, and if you don't believe that, God raised him from the dead. This is real. Now, notice the response of the people. He said this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, just like today. Oh, pff, come on, you crazy wackos, right? So sometimes you'll get that. Some of them sneered, he says. Okay, and others said, well, you know what? We, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few became followers of Paul and what? Believed. And then uh, uh, among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So what we see here in our text, okay, is the Apostle Paul, when he's witnessing to the Athenians, the witnessing technique, if you will, the angle that he went about was what? He appealed to creation, a literal creation. He simply said, hey, listen, guys, you, you're very religious. You want to try to cover all bases, but let me tell you what's really going on. And he made an appeal to a literal creator who literally made everything, including mankind, and he has literally appointed a day of judgment, and there is literally only one way out of that, and that's through Jesus Christ, and he rose from the grave. That's God's proof. So here's my point. What was the response of that angle, if you will, technique, whatever you want to call it, that Paul witnessed to the Athenians. Some of them rejected it, right? Oh, so that's it, I quit. No. Do we quit when somebody rejects today? No. Okay, but the good news was some of them told them to come back later, especially on this topic, right? Because, again, where's the only way that people are going to learn about what's really going on with creation versus evolution? Is it the media? Is it the school system? No, it's you and I. And so sometimes what we have to share with them, what we're learning in our studies, even scientifically, it, whoa, that, that's, okay, maybe they don't get saved on the spot, but it's like, you know what? I've never heard that before. How come they're not teaching, right? You pique their interest. 
And that happened with the Apostle Paul. But the good news was some people got saved. Actually, quite a few got saved when he used that as an angle. So therefore, I would say it's not just a witnessing technique, but apparently, hey, if it's good for the Apostle Paul, it's probably good for us. Okay, let's all say this together. Yuck, yuck. Okay, that's what you got to do. But anyway, that's right. Okay, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue, therefore, okay, uh, developing our study and continuing our study, the witness of creation. And as you know, what we're doing is we're taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us to show us he's not just real, but the good news is Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and hey, we can have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. We've already seen that first evidence was the evidence of an intelligent creator, intelligent design. Ten weeks going from the telescope all the way down to the microscope. Design implies a designer, i.e. God. This didn't happen by chance, okay? Then the last three times we saw the second evidence was the evidence of a young creation, okay? Or a young earth, okay? And we saw that uh, evolution with their millions and billions of years, okay? Not only calls Jesus Christ a liar, because when you go back to what he said, he said the beginning began with Adam and Eve. The first marriage was the beginning point, he said. Add up the dates in the Bible, you get to roughly around 6,000 years. So evolution right there just called Jesus Christ a liar. The last time we saw they even called God the Father a liar because they deny the literal Genesis account, the six-day creation, which is mind-blowing to me because we'll sit here on the one breath and say God created everything and he did just like that out of nothing with a spoken word. But he can't do it in a literal 24-hour day. <laughs> what? Excuse me? It's, it's ridiculous, okay? Uh, but that's what evolution does. They said, no, 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 God's got it wrong. You see, we've been here for millions and billions of years, and we know this for sure, dare you question, because of our evolutionary dating methods, right? And so we began to do our homework, and we looked at these dating methods, and we started with the sacred cow of carbon dating, if you were here last time. And we saw that thing's got some serious problems, okay? Uh, the facts show that carbon dating only works on previous living things, Okay? And so if somebody comes up to you and say, I know that the earth is millions and billions of years old because they've carbon dated the earth. No, it doesn't work on rocks. It has to be a previous living thing. Number two, carbon dating, they even admit themselves, only works for a few thousand years backwards, okay? If it's even accurate and it's not, we'll get to that in a second, okay? Uh, but it even works for a few thousand years. So if somebody says, we know it's millions of years because of carbon dating, you don't know anything about carbon dating, okay? They just continue to repeat this. The third thing we saw is it only works at equilibrium, okay? And the, the equilibrium actually shows, which we have not achieved yet, okay, that is balanced out, that the earth has to be only a matter of thousands of years, not millions of years, because we haven't uh, reached equilibrium. And then we saw things that they said that should take hundreds of millions of years to form, like coal, which is made of plant material, so it has carbon, so it can be dated. Uh, it only comes back a few thousand years old. Why? Because it was created at the flood. And also we saw, we left off the final one, was even things like diamonds. They say it takes billions of years to form diamonds, right? Uh-uh. Diamonds, diamonds, of course, are made of carbon, so they can be carbon dated. And the guy actually dated them, and they came back thousands of years. Those two were also formed by the geological pressures and the things going on with the flood. So when we take a look at it, you see the carbon dating, actually carbon dating, if you look at it, and you do your homework, believe it or not, no matter what people say to you and I, it actually proves that the earth has only been here for a few thousand years, right? Completely twisted uh, for you and I today. But you might be out there thinking, okay, well, wait a minute. So carbon dating uh, it only works for a few thousand years. It doesn't work on rocks. We haven't even reached equilibrium, and they get it wrong all the time. But aren't there other dating methods out there that the evolutionists use to say, oh, no, okay, maybe you got us on this carbon dating thing, but we know for sure that we've been here for millions and billions of years. Aren't there other dating methods? Yeah, there are. Actually, there's dozens of them. Okay, and what we're going to see, folks, is just like with carbon dating, every single one of them. Let's say that together, shall we? Every single one of them has got some major problems, just like with carbon dating. I'm telling you, this whole thing is a dating game that they're playing on us. It's baloney, man. We have been lied to, and I'll say that. We have been lied to, okay? And when you see how much we've been lied to, it's kind of, you know interesting okay the second problem this brings me to the second problem i have with these evolutionary dating methods they not only don't function like they're supposed to is listen they're all based on faulty assumptions now can i translate what an assumption is an assumption is a guess okay now again the premise is how dare you orson 
question our science that we've been here for millions and billions of years. How dare this is an exact science. Are you kidding me? The whole thing is based on guesswork, assumptions, okay? And uh, to help you understand how ridiculous this is, and it is not an exact science, and it never can be an exact science, we're going to take a look at an analogy between that and a burning candle. Okay, let's take a look at that assumption. Imagine you found a candle burning in a room, and you wanted to determine how long it was burning before you found it. Why? It's like the mountain, because it was there. It's a guy thing. You can't go in that room. You can't just enjoy the candle. You can't appreciate the candle. You've got to figure it out. Right, so here's what you do if you're like Bobby. Okay, apparently... Here's what, you could measure the present height of the candle. I mean exact. Get the, right, seven, seven inches, okay? You can get that exact. Okay, that's good. That's science. And, and you could measure the present rate of burn. Say it's burning right now at exactly one inch per hour. Now you can measure that, right? Here's the problem, folks. But in order to find out the length of time since the candle was lit and already lit when you got there, you would have to make some assumptions to come to any kind of a conclusion, right? You would have to guess, right? You would have to assume that the candle has always burned at the same rate, right? Well, how do you know that? I mean, a wind could come along a couple different times. It makes it burn hotter or whatever. It, it, it's that, excuse me? That's a guess, okay? And there's no way for you to know. Second, you would have to assume what was the original height of the candle, did it start out nine feet tall? Was it just eight inches? It's only burned down one inch? I mean, how, how big was this thing? You, you don't know? Can you ever know? No. You would have to guess, right? You would have to make an assumption. And because of those guessworks built into this, listen, your answer will always change based on your assumptions. And guess what? Two people probably aren't going to agree. Five people aren't going to agree. You get five people in that room independently, and they're going to have to make guesses. And I'll guarantee you're going to get five different answers. Why? Because in order to pull that off on something you weren't there, you had to guess. And because everybody guesses wrong, that's not exact. Here's my whole point in bringing that analogy. In the same way, folks, scientists do not know that the decay rates, you know, like the candle burning, decaying down, burning down, the decay rates of dating methods have been constant. And they haven't been. We'll get to that in a second. So they're guessing right off the bat. Well, we can measure the rates of decay right now to date something. You don't know it's always been that way. In fact, it hasn't. The second thing is, nor do you know if the atmospheric conditions have always been the same as they are today. And we know they haven't. Okay? And by the way, have you guys noticed that atmosphere kind of changes on a daily basis? All one of you. Two, maybe. Three. Praise God. Give me a four. Give me a five. I'm going to say. Okay. All right. Excuse me. So, so that changes. So how's that exact? Therefore, their answers on dating methods will likewise always change based on the similar assumptions of the candle. Do you get it? The whole premise of this dating game is built on guesswork. But what are you and I told today? Oh, no, don't. This is an exact science. We've got this thing nailed down. How dare you make a ridiculous statement that we've only been here for a few thousand years? We know. The whole core of it is built on guesswork. And nobody agrees with the other one, and we'll get to that again in a second. Now, uh, again, I'm not talking just one or two guesses. I'm talking a multitude of guesses or assumptions. Let's take a look at some of the assumptions on some of these uh, dating methods, some of the most popular ones outside of carbon dating. And you tell me if this is an exact science. It's absolutely ridiculous, okay? Uh, the first one's amino acid dating. Okay, not only will water contaminate the results. Wait, 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 wait a second there. Something as simple as water can mess up the result. Anybody ever pour water on something? Anybody ever have it rain once in a while? Ever hear of a worldwide flood? So just water will mess it up, as well as temperature. What? So I can mess it up just with water, and then if the temperature changes, it's hosed up too. You, and this is supposed to be an exact science? This is crazy, folks. Amino acid dating requires that the temperature change not change for thousands of years. That's not reality, okay? It's crazy. And not just coldness, but heat as well. Just a one-degree increase in temperature at 73.4 degrees will produce a nearly 16% increase in the rate of measurement. 
It's ridiculous. This, ex- this is not an exact science. It's crazy, okay? Uh, lead uranium date, another popular one. In the lead uranium systems, both uranium and lead can migrate easily in some rocks. Okay, that means it's going to change because it was there, but now it's not there. So that means the results are going to change. That's not stable. Lead can migrate easily in some rocks, and lead escapes as a vapor at relatively low temperatures. So again, if the temperature changes, then it's going to leach out, and then you're going to have a totally different date. That's not consistent. That's not constant. A rubidium strontium date, another popular one. This is widely used at the present time. But in addition to all the other problems mentioned earlier, the experts have been unable to decide on the half-life of rubidium. Now you're thinking, well, what do you mean? Let me give you an analogy. This is like saying we will use a certain wall clock to figure the time with. Yay! But the problem is you have no idea what each hour that passes on the clock equals. Could be five minutes, could be two days. How many of you guys glad that when I preach on Sunday mornings that I do not look at that clock back there and I assume that every minute is actually giving me two hours? Yes, right? That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with these guys. They say, okay, we're all going to agree on this, but we don't know what it means. We don't have a starting point. And this is an exact science, absolutely crazy. To add to the problem, strontium is easily leached away and can be leached out of the rock by what again? Water or by heat, thus ruining the computation. So you don't even have the same time clock. You're guessing at the whole thing. You don't even have a basis to start with. And the whole thing can be changed by water and temperature again. And this is an exact science. It's crazy. A potassium argon, very popular today. Uh, since potassium is found in fossil bearing strata, this is a favorite method. And by the way, we'll get to this Lord willing next week, I believe when we hit the geological column. Typically, if you bring in a sample to these guys, Okay, they're not even going to use one of these dating methods. Typically, okay, the first thing they're going to ask you is this. What layer did you find it in? Right? Because they go back to the geological column and says, well, they found it in this layer, and we have predetermined that that layer is 400 million years old, so therefore it must be 400 million years old. Well, how did you find out that it was 400 million years old? Well, because of the fossils that were there. Well, how do you know how old those fossils are? Well, because it was found in that 400 million old layer. I'm not making it up. That's how it works. We'll get to that next week, okay? But typically, that's what they do. But if, if you don't tell them, they resort to these big guys, these dating methods, okay? But anyway, so this guy, it's a fossil-bearing strata. Uh, but the experts cannot also agree on the half-life of potassium, so they don't have an accurate clock. Okay, disagrees. And also argon is a rare gas that quickly escapes from the rock into the atmosphere as well as potassium. So again, it leaches out. It's not stable at all. Okay, lead 210 and helium dating. Lead 210 can leak or be contaminated by the entry of other leads and helium. So it's not stable. And being a gas, uh, helium uh, leaks so radically that it is what? Useless for dating purposes. It's not stable whatsoever Okay, but yet again, this will give them what they say they want, okay? Now, as we've gone through those folks, okay, taking a look at those, um, there's not just one, there's not just two, but there's a whole bunch of faulty assumptions going on there, right? Okay, and again, remember, all it takes is just one. One, and each one has multitudes. All it takes is for one of those faulty assumptions to ruin the whole thing. And yet you and I are supposed to never question it's absolutely crazy, okay? And so I would say that based on, we still got more to go, but based on what we're seeing so far, the whole premise of these dating methods, hey, carbon dating is not the only one that's got some serious problems. I say every stinking one of them they come up with do, right? This is not an exact science. In fact, believe it or not, this is as audacious as this is, evolutionists themselves admit it that this is not an accurate science. Let's take a look at some of these guys. Henry Fall, he said, most of the ages obtained by the lead-thorium method disagree with the ages of the same minerals computed by the other lead methods. What did he just tell you? Our methods don't even agree with each other. I mean, he thought if it was exact that this method would come up with the same date as this method, as would come up with the same, at least in the same ballpark, it's just, he admits it doesn't. And he says, the, the reasons for this disagreement is largely unknown. How about it doesn't work, Wally? Excuse me? It's crazy. Ranicelli, he said this, as much as 80% of the potassium in a small sample of iron meteorite can be removed by distilled water in four and a half hours. So I put the sample in water, I mess it up. Can you imagine what a worldwide flood would 
We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Clever, uh, Clever and Wine, these guys said this, 90% of the total radioactive elements of some granites could be removed by leaching the granulated rock in weak acid. 90% could completely radically change it. Dudley said this, aside from all other contamination and other problems, everything hinges on the unchanging decay rates. Remember the analogy with the candle? That's like how fast is that thing burning down or decaying, right? He said, with these guys, pick your method. It all hinges on, it never changes. It's always the same. He went on to note that they know at least of five ways that it's going to change, okay? He actually changed the decay rates of 14 different radioisotopes by means of, listen, pressure can mess it up, temperature can mess it up, electric and magnetic fields can mess it up, and even stress. He also cited research by Westinghouse Laboratories, which changed the rates simply by placing inactive iron next to radioactive lead. A piece of iron sitting next to it can mess it up. And this is supposed to be an exact science. And this guy, Farrar, he said this, these results indicate that even total rock systems may be open during metamorphosis and may have their isotopic systems change, making it, listen to what he says, making it what? Impossible to determine their geological age. So they admit that their own methodologies, it's impossible to accurately determine what's going on. And yet, what are we told today? Don't you dare question. We know this has been here for millions and billions. You've got to be kidding me. They admit, folks, it's impossible. And then I like this one. Juneman, he said this. He said, just listen to this. It's like he's reading the Bible or something. Just one catastrophe, such as a what? Worldwide flood, remember because the water issue, would throw all the dating clocks off. Immense contamination of all radioactive sources would occur. Can I translate that for you? If there really was a worldwide flood, all of our dating methods would be wrong. Hey, guess what? There's a worldwide flood, so guess what? All their dating methods are wrong. He admits it. Can you believe that? Absolutely crazy, okay? And you think, well, wait a second. If these methods are really so messed up, and these guys will even admit it because it's all based on guesswork, not exact science, then you would think that the results they actually get back would reflect that. Well, thanks for asking, Mickey. It works well with my notes. Uh, because that's my third problem that I have with these things, these evolutionary dating methods, is their dates are full of corruption. Christians test these guys all the time. They'll take something to them. They won't tell them where they got it, and they won't give up the information like, what layer of dirt did you find it in? They just says, date this for me. And they test them all the time, okay? And it's absolutely ridiculous. You tell me if this thing is an exact science. It's totally corrupted. It's insane, okay? First of all, new wood, they took a piece and tested them. New wood from an actively growing tree took to them. They dated it 10,000 years old. You know what? I don't even have a calculator up here, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of math, although I could take it and leave it, but uh, I think that's 10,000 years old. Can you believe that? It's crazy. Lava from an 1801 Hawaiian volcano, we know the date, gave a potassium argon date of 1.6 million years old. It was 1801, fresh rock, okay? Uh, muscle tissue from beneath the scalp of a mummified musk ox found in the frozen muck of Alaska. You say that five times real fast without messing up, I'll take you out to eat, right? Anyway, so this, this animal here had a radiocarbon uh, age of 24,000 years old, okay? While the radiocarbon age for the hair on the hind limb of the same carcass was 17,200 years old. Now, you do the math on that, a lifespan exceeding 7,000 years for this animal is highly doubtful, let alone 7,000 years for an animal to grow hair. How many guys hate it? It just takes forever. Oh, I hate that. Okay, a uh, new lava dome from Mount St. Helens was formed in 1986 after it erupted, so we know the exact date. 1997, 11 years later, Christians, they took five specimens, took them from this dome. We know exactly when it was formed. Watch this. And they did it from five different locations and subjected them to conventional potassium argon dating. Listen to what they came back with. The results indicated ages of less as one half to almost three million years old from an 11-year-old rock. First of all, one half million to three millions a big gap period which is crazy okay but it's from an 11 year old rock 
It's, it's nuts. Uh, in Jarmo, this is a village in northern Iraq, they had 11 samples dated from various strata, and it, they showed, according to their dating methods, a 6,000-year spread from oldest to most recent, that that civilization has been there for at least 6,000 years. Well, they got in there with some uh, archaeologists, and the evidence showed that the village was occupied no more than 500 years before it was finally abandoned. 5,500 years off. Excuse me, this is exact, this is good. Mortar from an Oxford castle in England, given age of 7,270 years. The only problem is it was only built 800 years ago. Uh, excuse me, uh, lunar soil, this is wild. Collected from Apollo 11, gave ages by different methods, anywhere from, listen to this variance, 2.3 billion to 8.2 billion, all from the same rocks in the same location. Nuts, okay? Uh, for years, the KBS Tuff, known uh, for this lady, Kay Brerensmeyer, was uh, called after her, uh, was dated using potassium argon at 212 to 230 million years old. Okay? For years, it stayed that way. Here's the problem. All of a sudden, they found a human skull in that thing. Oops, back in 1972, and they found it there in that tuff, in that dirt layer, making it look like modern humans, according to their layering uh, technique, dating, the, they, the modern humans were uh, 2.9 million years old. Oops, that messes up our theory. I'm not kidding you, look at this. First of all, if the skull had not been found, nobody would have suspected that, oops, maybe we're wrong on the 2.12 million year dates as being wrong, right? Okay, why don't you stick with that? But secondly, they saw the dilemma, oops. So they went ahead and did 10 different samples retaken from the same area, and all of a sudden they came back with some new dates. Wink, wink. And they were uh, 0.52 to 2.64 million years old, which is way down from 212 million years old. But even the new and improved dates still have a 500% error. And this is an exact science. So worthy to be in our textbooks. So worthy that every time we know this so surely that a kid who's four years old, he goes to preschool, he opens up a book on dinosaurs, and what's the first line? millions of years ago and you do stuff like this you liars why would you lie to the kids unless you purposely don't want them to believe in god okay that's the spiritual battle we're in this is not just a war of worldviews. basalt from mount uh robert you want to get to go with that okay hawaii okay 1959 we know that <laughs> was given the age of 8.5 million years old and then from Mount Etna, Sicily, 1972, was given the age of 350,000 years old. Anybody notice, starting to notice a trend here? Uh, they're all wrong every single time. Way off, okay? Let's continue on. Shells from living snails were carbon dated as being 27,000 years old. That's 27,000 years off. Excuse me? How many of you guys would like to have that variance and that guesswork when you do your taxes and estimate? Uh, I think I put in 27,000 hours this week, boss. Give or take 27,000. Right. Excuse me, you go to jail for that. A freshly killed seal, they carbon dated 1,300 years ago. They just killed the thing. Oh, poor little fluffy. Okay, let's move on. Uh, this mammoth here, uh, same mammoth, a different mammoth, but on the same carcass, dated 29,500 years. Another part of the exact same mammoth was 44,000 years, and which is obviously one slow birth. How many ladies would like to give birth for that long? Okay, my wife doesn't want to do it either. That's 14,500 years later, right? Anybody was, your wife got hooked up to one of those machines and as the contractions got stronger and stronger, the, the meter went, it was make this noise. Did any of you guys go, yeah. And you're like, are you going to beat your record? You? Okay, apparently I was the only one. But let's move on. Uh, this, uh, one part of this uh, frozen mammoth was 40,000 years old. Another part of the same mammoth, 26,000 years old, and the wood immediately surrounding the carcass was uh, nine to 10,000 years old. That's messed up all the way around, okay? As you can see there. Now this one, another mammoth, was, had a radiocarbon age of 15,380 years, while its skin and flesh were 21,300 years, and wouldn't it be horrible to go without your legs, let alone your skin or your flesh? I love my flesh, by the way, the skin. It comes in handy, it's nifty, it's a wind deterrent, yeah, whatever. For 5,920 years, it's nuts, folks. And I had to add this, I'm not making this up, this was actually printed in a book. I'm not making this up. J.B. Birdsell, in his book, Human Evolution, you can check it out, said this, in the last two years, <laughs> he almost can't spit it out, in the last two years, an absolute date, let's say that, absolute date has been obtained 
for the Nadandong beds above the Trinil beds, for those of you wondering, okay? An absolute date, listen to this, is printed in a book. And it has the very interesting value of 300,000 years, plus or minus 300,000 years. <laughs> Can you believe that? This is nuts, folks. This is supposed to be an inexact science. Absolutely uh, crazy, okay? How many guys would say it's kind of whacked out? And then therefore, how many guys would say, based on their own results, it would be whacked out for you and I to pay any amount of attention to this? And we're the ones who are intellectually inept. We're the ones who don't know science. We don't know what we're talking about. How dare we question, right? What is that, the spirit of Sammy Davis? I don't know. I know this is Vegas, but it started to sound kind of weird there. It scared me. But anyway, here's the point. Therefore, I think it's wacky for us to not only buy into that, but I think it's really wacky, as we saw before. Some Christians actually bend a knee and compromise on these dating methods and try to squeeze it into the Bible we saw last time. And that's what it's based on. It's bad enough the world does it, but what in the world are we doing as a church? We need to do our homework and realize that, listen, you can trust what God says. Now, believe it or not, if these dating methods are so whacked out, you would think, well, would the evolutionists even admit that? Yeah, they do as we're getting ready to close. The fourth problem I have is they're admitted by their own quotations. These guys, folks, actually admit that their dating methods are useless. So why in the world do they continue to do this? Because what is the Achilles heel of evolution? You have to have millions and billions of years to believe in their fairy tale. Long ago and far away. We see no evidence for this today. So in a land far, far away, millions and billions of years ago, that's when it happened. In order for you and I to fall for the lie, they have to do this. But they know it's not true, but they keep pushing it out there like it's a science, and it's not. And they even admit it. Let's take a look at a few of their quotes. Uh, uh, Conlon said this back in 1991, folks, said this, the dating of ancient events millions of years ago is a what? Inexact science. They admit it. They've been admitted for a long time. Tyker, he said this in the Geological Society of America. He said, at present, no coherent picture of the history of the earth could be built on the basis of what? Radioactive datings. Now, what did he just say? As far as I understand, an evolutionist. All these dating methods don't even do it. You cannot build a picture of the earth and dating the earth on that stuff. And yet, what do they do? They do it anyway. Because why? That's the only evidence they have is this baloney. Waterhouse, he said this, improved laboratory techniques and improved constants have not reduced the scatter in recent years. In other words, why it doesn't work. They've been trying to work on it, but it still doesn't work because it's faulty. Instead, the uncertainty grows as more and more data is accumulated. In other words, no matter how much we try to fix this, it just keeps coming back wrong according to what they want. Okay, because it's not true. Bruce said this, if a C14, listen to this, if a C14 date, carbon dating, supports our theories, what do they do with it? We put it in the main text. If it does not entirely contradict them, then where do they put it? In a footnote, listen to this. And if it is completely out of date, we just what? Drop it. So what did he just say? If even in our faulty dating methods, if we get a date that's too young and we don't like it, what do they do with it? They get rid of it. He admitted it. And listen to what he says. A few archaeologists who have concerned themselves with absolute chronology are innocent of having sometimes applied this method. In other words, everybody's doing this. What's the big deal? You know, you expect us to get this absolutely right? Yeah, that's what you're telling us. But you're lying, okay? Mauger, he said this in geology, uh, a professor at East Carolina University. He said, in general, dates in the correct ballpark are assumed to be correct, and they're what? Published. But those in disagreement with other data are seldom published, nor are the discrepancies fully explained. Oops. That doesn't sound like science. It sounds like uh, you're trying to select the information. Curtis said the thing to do, here's what you do, uh, is to get a sequence of dates and throw out those that are vastly anonymous. Get rid of them. Just chuck them. Okay, only take the ones you want. Armstrong Basanga said, it is usual to obtain a spectrum of discordant dates and to select the concentration of highest values as the correct age. And this is, is anybody starting to get a little incensed? Can you believe how much we've been lied to? How many times on the History Channel, how many times on Nature Channel, every single day, what do you hear? Millions of years ago, 
And this is what you're basing it off of? And when you're cornered, you actually admit it? It's nuts, folks. It's crazy. Robert Lee, he said this in the Anthropological Journal of Canada back in 1981. He said, radiocarbon method is still not capable of yielding accurate and reliable results. Just forget about it. There are gross discrepancies. The chronology is uneven and relative. And the accepted dates are actually selected dates. And he said this, this whole blessed thing is nothing but 13th century alchemy. And it all depends upon which funny paper you read. Oh, but he's not the only one. Evolutionist William Stansfield, uh, he's a PhD at uh, uh, Cal Poly. Listen to what he said. He said, it is obvious that radiometric techniques may not be the what? The absolute dating methods that they are claimed to be. So again, why do you keep using them? And he says this, age estimates on a given geological stratum by different radiometric methods are often quite different, sometimes hundreds of millions of years. In other words, it doesn't matter which method you use, none of them agree with each other. And so he says this, there's absolutely no reliable long-term radiological clock. Forget it. We don't have one, he said. The uncertainties inherent in radiometric dating are disturbing to geologists and evolutionists. Why? Because no matter what we try to do, no matter how much we try to tweak it, no matter how much science we try to throw at it, it keeps coming back with the wrong dates that we know it has to be. That's what they're saying. They don't want to believe the Bible. What did Peter say? These people will be willingly ignorant. I'm still going to believe this. I'm still going to head this because I don't want there to be a God. That's what God said would happen in the last days. And Frederick Judeman, listen to this one more time. He said, there has been in recent years the horrible realization that radio decay rates are not as constant as previously thought. Hmm, really? And then he says this, nor are the immune and environmental influences. In other words, it's not constant. And that could mean that the atomic clocks are reset during some global disaster. Wonder what that would be? A flood. That's right, Mary, a flood. You're on the ball right there. And listen to this, the events which brought the Mesozoic to a close, uh, the dinosaur period, made uh, uh, 65 million years ago, according to their dates, may not be, but rather, not 65 million years ago, he says, but rather maybe that happened within the age and the memory of man. So maybe the dinosaurs got wiped out by some sort of global catastrophe that not only has ruined all their computation methods, but it was sufficient to wipe out the dinosaurs across the planet. I don't know, what do you guys think, a flood or something maybe? That's exactly what he's saying. And so my conclusion is basically this, and this is going on their own research, their own words, their own quotations. I would say that if the evolutionists themselves are having a hard time believing in the accuracy of their own dating methods, then me personally, I think I'm kind of having a hard time believing in the accuracy of their dating methods. <laughs> Anybody else come to that conclusion? Can you believe how much we're being lied to every day? Open up the textbook, turn on the TV, millions and billions of years, and you know it doesn't work. Isn't that absolutely wild? You'll go that far to reject the Bible. You'll go that far uh, to reject what the creation account says, okay? But that's all. You might be thinking, well, hey, wait a second. If these uh, dating methods are so unreliable, I can get that. But what about that geological column, okay? What about those uh, stalactites and stalagmites? They say take millions and millions of years to form. Don't touch that thing or you will blow up the universe. You ever go on a tour and they scare you with that? Okay. Well, believe it or not, Mickey, Lord Vaughan, we'll get to that next time. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you, one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. 
And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.